The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Who are you wearing? Back when people watched award shows, that's the question celebrities would be asked as they walked the red carpet. Joan Rivers, the controversial comedian, delighted in exposing who she thought was the worst dressed at each show. At the 1997 Golden Globes, Joan declared Helen Mirren to be the absolute worst dressed. Her panel agreed. She looked into the camera directly and said, Helen, get your act together. You've got to start dressing better. A few weeks later, they replayed that program, and Helen watched the show herself against her better judgment, she said. After hearing Joan's pronouncement, she said she burst into tears. So who are you wearing? That's the question Paul puts to each of us tonight in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's not just a hypothetical question. It demands an answer. You should leave this place answering within the quiet of your own heart who you are wearing right now, right here. Klein Snodgrass writes this. Ephesians reaches a climax here. Paul's readers, and that includes us, cannot go further without making an ethical decision. The rest of the letter will only take care of the details. By the end of our text, we're left with no excuse, no uh, reasons why, just choice. To put on the new man God has made us or to go back to the ruined rags of sin, to wear one of two garments and walk one of two paths. Verse 17 begins, it says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. After chapters and passages of overflowing excitement and piles of blessings and prayers of thanksgiving and songs of praise that we've been seeing week after week, we can sense a change in Paul's tone here for the moment. There's a renewed forcefulness There's even a formality in his opening phrase here. The word testify is a solemn term, often used to put people on notice that they must carry out a particular behavior or serious consequences will follow. Paul's words are a command and a warning. A warning to who? To you. Who, me? Yes, you. You Christian, you faithful saint, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, Now, your text may read it this way, as the rest of the Gentiles do, but that's not in the original. Uh, Paul is speaking very frankly, very directly, very boldly to his listeners. And it's easy for us to remove ourselves, I think. It is for me to remove myself sort of as a third party. 
right? Oh, Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to these Roman pagan Gentiles. And I sort of remove myself out and I watch Paul talk to them. Uh, But in reality, Paul is talking to me. Paul is talking to you. The Romans were crazy. They were pagans who did all sorts of weird things. That's true. But we cannot honestly say that our culture, our nation, our society, our communities are in submission to God or pursuing Him or applying His Word uh, to the way that we do things. We can't say our culture uh, isn't doing all the strange things that the Romans were doing, that we aren't uh, sexually immoral, that we aren't full of greed, that we aren't full of selfishness and willful ignorance of biblical truth in our culture is what I'm talking about. In fact, you could read it this way tonight, you should no longer walk as the Americans do. Now imagine that that's what Paul, that's what you had in your Bible because that is what they had when they received this letter. And they got to church that day and Paul said, hey, you Gentiles, stop. Stop walking the way the Gentiles do. Now substitute Americans. Start uh, substituting, you know, our, our people here. It stings a little more if we're honest when we hear it that way, Right? Because we think, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, hang on a second, Paul. It's not all bad. Uh, Paul would disagree. Uh, And that is how the original audience would have heard it. You Gentiles, stop walking in the way of the Gentiles. Paul had nothing kind to say about their former way of life, the culture they came out of, the society that they were citizens of. He says we need to leave that behind. And he's back to this analogy of walking that he started back in verse one of this chapter. Remember, we spent time on that, walk worthy. And that's an exciting thing to think about. And that's the, the, you know, the mission statement for every Christian that we're to walk worthy of the calling with which we're called. And that's an exciting thing. And, and the flip side of that coin is, okay, and now you no longer walk according to this previous culture that you came out of. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk as the Americans do so that you can walk worthy with the Lord. Paul insists on it. It's not a suggestion. It's not negotiable. He's not just being a little bit cranky. The problem is walking like a Gentile is natural. We're incentivized from all sides, inside, outside, from every angle around us to go the world's way, to follow along with the the flow of the world. But by the end of our text, we'll see what a waste, what a ruin, what a dead end that way is. And it's not just about sinful activities. It's not just about particular behaviors that that God identifies as sin. We see here the problem starts much deeper, much baser than that. It starts within, in the futility of our thoughts. Paul is talking about mindset and mentality and attitudes and ways of thinking about, about identity. So that's what I'm talking to you at. The behaviors also But the behaviors flow from those things. The behaviors flow from what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Uh, And what we see here is that the Gentile way, the ungodly way, it is worthless and empty and futile. It warps the mind. And then behavior and customs and culture flow from those warped minds. This isn't just limited to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the message all over the epistles. Verse 18 says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Futile, darkened, excluded, ignorant, hard-hearted. Man, Paul, tell me how you really feel about what's going on here. 
But you know, this isn't just Paul's opinion. It's just, it's not just that he's sort of a, you know, uptight, you know, Jew who became a Christian. What did, we, what did he say at the beginning? He says, actually, I'm testifying on the Lord's behalf. I'm an expert witness for God himself. He is writing under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. So this is God's assessment of human culture, God's assessment of worldly thought, of American society, of Ephesian, you know, community, all of those sorts of things. This is God's assessment. This is a revelation of what is true as far as heaven is concerned. This, verse 18, and and the other verses here in our passage, this is what sin does to the human mind and then to human culture by extension. We read all about it very plainly in Romans chapter 1, right? Uh, It's an important passage for all of us to be sort of biblically literate in right now because it, uh, it feels a whole lot like the American culture at large is living out Romans chapter 1 in a very sad and very obvious way. Maybe not, but it sure feels that way, and so all of us should be well-versed in that as we seek to be lights in our community. But we read about this in Romans 1, where mankind refuses to acknowledge God, despite the preaching, despite the testimony of creation, despite the things that God is doing to call to man and to interact with them, Uh, the unbelieving world refuses to acknowledge God. They refuse to accept his truth. They refuse to go his way. And instead, they want to go this other way towards themselves, towards their own desires, into temptation, into sin. And here is the result. They are given over to the ruin of sin. And what sin does is it darkens your understanding. It excludes you from the life of God. It makes you an ignorant person when it comes to spiritual things and the things that really matter in life. If I'm in the dark, if I'm in a really dark place and I need to know which way to go, uh, you know, if you're, if, you can't know which way to go unless you have light, right? And then if I see a little light in the distance, I'm looking at the mosquito light in the distance right now. And, uh, you know, if I see that light in the distance far away, I now have a choice to make, right? If I'm in the dark, my choice is I can either walk towards the light steadfastly, and, that, and as I do, as I get closer to it, more and more will be illuminated around me. We've all experienced that. Or I could turn my back on that light and head in the other direction, and as I do, I will become more and more darkened. I will become more and more at danger, more and more aimless, more and more unable to know which way I am going, more and more unable to make meaningful progress. And that's what happens when we don't go God's way because God is light and the world is dark. And his word is a lamp unto my feet. And if we jettison the word of God and if we ignore the word of God and if we refuse to go to the word of God, well, then there is no lamp for our feet. We're just stumbling around in the dark. And the longer a person embraces spiritual ignorance, embraces spiritual darkness, well, then we learn here and elsewhere, the more insensitive they become to the things of the Lord. It's very dangerous things to do, not because only of the the consequences of sin or the mistakes we might make, but we're told that that the more that we walk away from God, reject God, ignore God, the more a person, a community, a culture will then become insensitive to the voice of God and to the truths of God. They become hard-hearted. And so now pause. Most of us here are believers tonight. Maybe there's a few who aren't. If you are, you're in spiritual darkness. You need the light of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. 
But most of us are believers here tonight, right? We want to follow God. We trust his word. We're clinging to the Lord. We're doing what Paul tells us we should do. We're not walking the Gentile way. You know, we're not perfect in the way that we follow our faith and walk with the Lord, but we're doing the thing that he's commanding us to do. That's good. But if we're honest, sometimes we are tempted to take a detour and get input from the world in certain situations, right? We, we have questions or difficulties or, or we're, we're presented with circumstances where we're not sure what to do and we're tempted to think, okay, well, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. There's not a specific verse that tells me exactly what to do in my situation. And so what does the world's experts suggest I do with my money or in my marriage or in my parenting or for my future? Well, why don't we just see what they have to say too? And, and what we need to understand is when it comes to the meaningful, spiritual, eternal aspects of life, the relational aspects of life, all of these things that really matter, the Lord says, hey, by the way, th- these other people who refuse to go my way, refuse to acknowledge my word, refuse to walk with me, those people, if you're going to them for advice, I'm just letting you know they're darkened in their understanding. They're ignorant and hard-hearted. How are they gonna be able to help us if they're walking around in the dark, it's the blind leading the blind, right? That's what Jesus said. He's like, you're going to have a real problem if, you're, if you have a blind person leading blind people around. Verse 19, they became callous, gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So callous here is a term that refers to petrification. You ever, you know, gone on the field trip and seen a piece of petrified wood? Super cool. Not really useful for wood. Uh, It also can refer to the kind of skin that grows over a severe burn. Uh, It closes up the wound, but then doctors tell us that that skin is no longer as sensitive as your original skin was. In fact, this term, Bible dictionaries tell us, can mean to abandon your sense of pain. So it says they became callous, they gave themselves over, they abandoned their sense of pain when it came to spiritual things. And so the idea is the natural sinful man, the way of the Gentiles, the way of the world, it goes to sin like a little child goes to a hot oven and is burned. But then they don't heed the warnings. They don't listen to even the pain that was caused. And so once the skin and the wound heals, they grab the oven again and then again and then again, causing more and more damage to himself, but being less and less sensitive to it. That's the image. First Timothy 4, Paul tells his friend there that our consciences can become seared when we don't walk with God. Not a good thing. Not like a good sear on your steak, right? It's our conscience is being burned and seared and insensitive. Now, Paul is generally referencing inappropriate sexual behavior in this verse, but we see that the promiscuity he's talking about, it expands. Every kind of impurity he talks about. Uh, all sorts of unrestrained, immoral attitudes and behaviors. One source defines it as the determination to gratify self-interest at all costs. Sounds a lot like the American culture, if you ask me. Just self-gratification, dedication to self, dedication to my own desires, dedication to my own pursuits. It's not just about sex, but it's also about greed and selfishness and rebellion against God. Sexual immorality, greed, impurity, these things that describe the Gentile way, Paul will say later, it shouldn't even be heard of among Christians. Not even in the way that we talk with one another. He says, man, we shouldn't even hear about that among you. And so from the Bible's perspective, if you're looking at the way of the righteous from, from Jesus Christ and the way of the wicked, 
there's a huge gulf in between what these two lives are supposed to look like. These two paths are supposed to look like. You're, it's not supposed to be hard like, um, do you remember when you were a kid and they said, you know, they showed you the two pictures and they're like, find three differences. And every now and then it's like, I can't find it. And you wonder, did they print the same picture twice, right? But the, the way of God and the way of the world, it's not like that where it's almost a carbon copy. I mean, the Bible presents it as way over here is the way of God and way over here going a million miles the other direction is not the way of God. And in between is this huge gulf, this huge line. But the problem is we dabble, right? Because we're imperfect and we do live with a sin nature. And we make little pit stops for impulse buys of sin. Are you an impulse buyer at the gas station or at the grocery store? It's a good, I, don't, I try not, I like never carry cash around because who uses cash? But I also don't carry it around because if I do, I impulse buy all the time because it's, it looks delectable, right? Who doesn't want another pack of gum and a pack of Skittles and whatever else is on there, right? Uh, and so we make all of these little dabbly pit stops on the way of the Gentiles, And we do so because we're tempted and because sin makes promises to us and it does feel enjoyable for a time. The Bible doesn't lie about that. But what is the truth about sin? What is the truth about walking the way of the world? Well, first, we learn here that indulging sin will never, ever satisfy. The sin nature always demands more and more. It's never sated. It's never like, okay, you sinned enough, you're good now. It always demands more and more. It is a bottomless pit. We convince ourselves sometimes, we lie to ourselves that a little taste is all we need, but it is a trap. It always demands more and more. The the second thing we can learn here is that when we indulge sin, we are ignoring God's warnings about it. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? The Lord gave them a very, very straightforward explanation and warning. He says, hey, don't eat this, the tree, because... I'm telling you not to, but here's also why you don't want to eat it. When you eat it, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. But Adam and Eve thought about it and decided, you know what? I'm going to ignore that warning. I don't really believe God. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. God says the way of the world, the way of the Gentiles, the the unbelieving life and culture that we came out of, if if you're saved here tonight, That sinful way is a dark poison leading to ruin and failure and disaster. And in our human hearts, we say, but it feels good sometimes. I want to do this thing over here. I'm tempted to do it. And when we give in to temptation, it is our hearts rebelling, saying to God, I don't believe you. I don't believe you know what sin is. I don't believe the warnings you're given. I think you're wrong. Now, we don't want to put it that way. Because we're thinking, well, I'm just doing an impulse buy of Skittles here. But that is what our hearts are doing. We've got the lollies in the cafe. If I told you the lollies, they're here, they're free, they're for you and your kids. They are laced with a little bit of anthrax. Not all of them, but most of them. I would hope that that would change your attitude about the lollies if you found my statement credible. Right? Not that you would just be like, meh, it's probably fine. Uh, I was reading about 10 years ago in Europe, there was a, a strange outbreak of anthrax among uh, heroin users in, injecting heroin. Like, 
it was a weird problem where they were passing around anthrax, right? So people were, were trying to get a high and instead they were getting multi-organ system failure, right? And it's like, hey, you know, the, the people that were trying to help them, the healthcare professionals and things like that are saying, hey, you, you should probably stop doing this so, you know, you don't shoot anthrax into your veins. And it's like, yeah, I don't believe you. I want to do this other thing over here. I want to feel the way I want to feel. And so temptation becomes an issue of faith, right? Sometimes we think, oh, temptation is an issue of my strength. But in reality, it's an issue of faith. Do we believe what God has said or do we disbelieve him? Do we agree with God that sin is not just a bad thing, but it is terribly detrimental to our lives, our relationships, the body of Christ at large, or do we disbelieve him about that? The third thing we learn from Paul's words here is that moderation is not the answer, right? When it comes to sin and behavior and those sorts of things, look at the state of the natural man, petrified, ruined, blind, dead, right? So it's not just a matter of, we need to put a Band-Aid on this guy. No, this guy's beyond repair. We need a new nature, one supplied by God. Verse 20 says, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And so it's not all doom and gloom. Paul gives us encouragement here. The Gentile Christians he was talking to had been promiscuous, greedy, impure unbelievers before they were saved. Back in the, or in the letter to the Corinthians, that has that great verse where Paul says to them, you know, liars and adulterers and all these different things. He's like, and such were some of you, but you've been cleaned and you've been washed. And so these Ephesians reading that, he says, you know what? That's not who you are anymore. Yes, you did walk the Gentile way of life, but you, you are not that person anymore. Now you came to know Christ. You've been saved. They were new. Now that they knew Christ, everything had changed. As believers, we're washed, we're sanctified, removed from the path of death, removed from the way of the Gentiles, and invited across the gulf onto the path of life and righteousness. And Paul said to the Ephesians, because you know Christ, you are no longer darkened and ignorant and excluded. Now you are illuminated, instructed, and included. It is really good news. What does it mean to know Christ? Well, it means to know the principles and the person. Notice he didn't say when you came to know about Christ. Or he didn't say when you came to know certain words from Christ. He says when you came to know Christ, knowing the principles and the person. When the Ephesians were first born again, back in Acts 19, they knew very little about the content of Christianity, right? They, they didn't hear all the Sermon on the Mount, and they didn't hear all the prophecies and all of those sorts of things. They hadn't learned all the doctrines and the stories. They would grow in that knowledge as they received teaching and studied God's Word. And so we see there in Acts 19, Paul taught every day in the hall of Tyrannus for two years the principles of the faith, helping them know Christ intellectually know the principles, know about him, know his words, know his plan, know his stories and his prophecies. But God also wants us to know the person, to understand his heart, his way of thinking, his character, his presence. Because if we think we know the principles of Jesus, but we don't know the person, then we don't really know Jesus. That is a consistent message of the New Testament. You can't have one or not the other. Can't be just like, hey, all I do is I just sit in the presence of Jesus. Okay, well, do you know his word? No, I don't need any of that. 
I just am experiencing. Well, or, or well, I'm, I know the Bible front and back. Okay, but do you know the, the person? Do you know the heart? Well, no, you can't separate them. To know Christ means to know the principles and the person. See, that was the problem of the Pharisees, right? They knew the Hebrew Bible. Does anyone in here have the entire Old Testament memorized? They did. I mean, it's easy. We read the Gospels and the Pharisees are bums, right? A bunch of them get saved and they were no longer bums. But the Pharisees in the Gospels are bums. And we're like turning our noses up at them. And well, we should. But they had the entire Old Testament memorized. Memorized. And they, probably, and they didn't own a bunch of Bibles like that they had at their house. And they didn't have, you know, all of these different things, you know, flashcards that we can use to memorize. They had the entire Old Testament memorized. They knew the principles of God, right? But they didn't know the person. And so they didn't know Christ. And when Christ came, they did not recognize him. And they hated him and they had him crucified. They didn't know the heart of God. How does an individual come to know Christ? Well, we see it right here. He says, how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him. So first we hear of him and then we're taught by him. How can they hear? Well, Paul sets out before us the, the sequence in a beautiful series of questions in Romans 10. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How they, can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? So this beautiful sequence of God sending the word out, sending the gospel out, sending the message out of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he said, what his plan is. And so we Christians do not only have the responsibility of living the Christian life, but also of inviting others to join us in the Christian life, to join the path, to jump the gulf and come on the way of righteousness. And we do so by the preaching of the gospel. God has sent you. If you're a Christian, God has sent you to some person, some persons, so that you can preach to Christ, preach Christ to them by your words and your actions and just your personal testimony. How that's gonna work out is, is done through God's gifting in your life, God's providence through your life, and God's opportunities that he's carved out for you. It's not just one method, and so all of us need to go do one, two, three, four, five things. That's not exactly how it works. The Lord says, but I am sending each one of my people out as light and salt so that they can be the preachers so that the people around them can be the hearers. As friends of Christ, we are all invited to learn more and more about the Lord as we walk with him learning more about the principles and the plans revealed in Scripture and more about his person as we live in his presence. You who are married here tonight, you know a lot more about your spouse now than you did on your first date. You know a lot more about their backstory, uh, about the things that, you know, they did and said and, and, and the experiences that they had in their past, even though you didn't know them then, you've learned those stories but also you know a lot more about them as a person right now. You know their heart, you know their character, you know the way they think about things. You know them on a very personal way and you're still learning more things about them. Or you musicians, if you've ever been in a band, you know that when you first started playing with a group of other musicians, it can be a pretty rickety experience. 
You're just holding on and hoping that we all get to the end of the song at roughly the same time. But if you're able to play with the same people many times for over years, the songs play and the years roll by and you become not only comfortable, you're able to anticipate what your bandmates are going to do at a given moment, at a given... You're able to grow and and diminish the dynamics of a song sort of even without thinking and without communicating. It just happens because you know each other. You know the, the, the way things work and the way people play, right? It's a relational thing that is also operative when you're working together. God wants us to know and learn Christ in those sorts of harmonious relational ways. That as we live out our Christianity, we are the kind of people who walk with God in a true and living way where we know the stories and we take steps of faith where we trust in his leading and are also so filled with the mind of Christ and an understanding of his character and his nature that we can anticipate how he would respond to a given situation or opportunity. That's the idea. Paul describes this ongoing life of walking with God using a clothing analogy in verse 22. He says, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. And so he talks about it like a garment we take off so that in the coming verses, we can put on a different garment. Again, Paul is talking to you. He's talking to me. He's not talking to some abstract person that lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, he was, but he's also speaking to you. We are called right here, right now, to move toward the light, to step toward God, to respond and react to the truth that he's given us. And it starts by acknowledging that we are not just a little influenced now and then by the Gentile world around us, but that we are besieged by it from without, and that within we have a sin nature that is attacking us as well, that there's a corrupt, poisoned, deceitful sin nature called the old self or the flesh or the old nature, and we are able to strip it off and leave it behind, and that we must do so. Christianity means a total redefinition and re-identification in Jesus Christ. That old sin nature, it's unsalvageable. It's not your friend. It's not going to help you. It's like the wreckage of the HMS Titanic at the bottom of the sea. If they could pull that thing up, there's no salvaging it. It's just done. It's eaten, it's destroyed, it's wrecked. And so our old nature, the message Paul wants to give us is like, do not nurture it, do not cultivate it, do not be nostalgic for it, do not put it on anymore. Paul says it's something we want to be saved from, not spend time with. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? That was the whole point. He said, man, this old nature, it's in there. I hate that guy. I'm going to be free of him one day when I'm in eternity with the Lord. But for now, man, he's the worst. (laughs) And who's going to save me from it? So how do we take it off? Well, it's not just by behavior modification. Okay, I do a bunch of things and, and therefore I'm taking it off. Though as we walk with God, our behaviors do change because he transforms us. Our desires change, our hearts change, our mentality changes. But we learn that God gives the power to take off the old self and instead walk worthy of our calling. That's what Romans 7 and 8 are all about. Paul says in Romans eight thirteen, if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so it's by the power of God. The old self was crucified with Christ. 
And the Bible declares that we have the power to leave the Gentile way and walk with the Lord. It's not a matter of if you can, it is a matter of if you will and if I will. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Spiritual renewal, spiritual strength, a life full of the blessings of God and the power of God, a life making progress begins in the heart and the mind. It begins with a choice to walk with God, to go his way, to believe what he says and has revealed. And to walk his way, we need to know his way. And, and that means we need to familiarize ourselves with who he is, what he said, what his plans are. And we find that on the pages of Scripture. If the truth sets us free, and if the truth empowers us and renews us, then we need to know what the truth is. And it's given to us in the Word of God, the pages of Scripture, and in Jesus Christ himself. To know the principles and the person. Now note this. This is important. God doesn't just want us to believe in him. Right, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of a life with God, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And now God says, you believe in me, great. Even the demons believe and they shudder, right? That's what the book of James says. But the question now is, okay, am I walking with God? Am I moving towards God? Am I putting on the new self that he's given me? In 2 Corinthians, we're told this is a process that we go through day by day, day by day renewal. As the Lord comes and meets us, we, you know, we greet the day, we wake up. The Lord doesn't have to wake up. He's waiting for us. And we wake up and he's like, hey, I'm here. You want to walk with me? I've given you this new garment, this new self, this new nature. I want to help you. I want to give you light. I want to give you strength. I want to give you hope and contentment and all of these things. And then we have the choice to determine in our hearts whether we want to be what God has made us to be or not. Now, we don't have to make it happen. God has already done it. He's already supplied the garment. One commentator writes, our task is not to weave it, but to wear it. There it is, right there for you. In the old cartoon, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, one of my favorites, we get a glimpse into Charlie's closet as he gets dressed in the morning. Inside, we see multiples of his famous squiggly line shirt. But in all sorts of colors, red, blue, green, gray. At least that's the colors I thought they were. I should have asked somebody. (laughs) After considering for a moment, what does he do? He naturally goes with the yellow because that's what he wears. The same old shirt that he's always worn. And guess what? His day is full of not kicking the football, not getting treated well by his friends, all of the things that we love Charlie Brown for. Maybe he should have put the red one on. The Lord says we have a choice day by day. Will we exhume the dead corpse of our old nature and wear his skin? That's what Paul depicts this as, the body of death. If you want to be really freaked out and grossed out and and like lose your lunch, look up my dad's studies in Romans 6, 7, and 8 where he talks about what the body of death is. There's a historical body of death and it's the worst thing you've ever heard. So are we going to wear that rotting skin or are we going to put on the new self, the one created in the likeness of Christ Jesus, the one where we think like him and talk like him and love like him and endure like him and react like him, the new self that is uncontaminated even though we live in a contaminated world. 
A new self where we become not Jew, not Gentile, but the third race. We've been talking about this in some of the other things. You see, Paul didn't say, hey, you Gentiles, stop being Gentiles and now become Jews. Not at all. In fact, when people were trying to flee back to Judaism or when Judaizers came and said, you have to become Jews, Paul said, absolutely not. That's a deal breaker. I'll die on this hill. Literally, I'll die on this hill. You're not going to do that because it's not about going the, the way of Moses. It's not about going the way of the Gentiles. It's about going the way of Jesus. It's a new thing, a separate thing. There's a gulf between those other ways and this way. And the question is, are we going to do it? It's not too hard to do these things. We have a tendency to think it's too hard to really live the Christian life. At least that's a whisper in our hearts sometimes. It's the old man saying that. And it's too hard to really do what Paul is saying. He's Paul after all, but it isn't. That's the whole point of Ephesians. What God has done, who God has made you to be. God supplies the power. God supplies the direction. God supplies the truth. He illuminates. He invigorates. He establishes. He builds. He directs. He provides. He made the new nature. He gives it to you. He extends it out to you. It's not too hard for us. The question is, do I want it? Do I want to do it? If we feel spiritually weak, could it be because we have weakened ourselves with continual burning with the way of the Gentiles? Continual coziness on that ungodly path. That was the case for some of our brothers and sisters in the first century as we read through the the New Testament. Living the Christian life is hard, but it isn't too hard. Think about all we've learned to this point in Ephesians, the grace, the power, the predestination, the sanctification, the unstoppable work of God that he says, you're included in it because I chose you to be part of this work and it's going to happen no matter what. It's not too hard for us to walk worthy. Paul told his dear friend Timothy, train yourself in godliness. He told the Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We can do it. If you hear these commands from the Lord and and you think it's just too hard to really do what God calls me to do, then either that lying sin nature has convinced you of what is not true or you don't fully understand what God has already done on your behalf. This is who God has made you to be. You are dead to sin if you're alive in Christ. It doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect, but it isn't too hard to walk with the Lord. You and I should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as the Americans do, as the self-obsessed, godless world does. Instead, we should wear Christ, wrap ourselves in his truth and his righteousness and his glory and be renewed and strengthened and illuminated and empowered day by day, becoming more and more like him. That's the deal. And now we get to decide if we're gonna do it.